Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Ah, I don't know what you call it today. It's not called the Areopagus, but it's the water cooler, or it's the local coffee shop, or it's the chat room. Let's see, nobody goes to a chat room anymore. It's all on your Facebook post, right? You see the news, you make the post, and everyone hawks to your site, right? Or maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a group of you that get together. Whatever it's called, it's where all worthy ideas are shared, right? I mean, this is where the latest and the greatest, if you're looking for a new recipe for chicken because you have just worn the poor bird out, right? Go online, find a discussion group. People will tell you this is what you do. And if you want to know how the latest polls are going and you want to see some insight from people that think maybe the same or different even from you, you'll go online, you find that place. It's the place where ideas are discussed. How many of you are tired of the places ideas are discussed? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk, and I'm not against talking, okay? Um, I'm not against sharing ideas. I'm, I'm against the sharing of ideas, and nothing is done about the idea. That's my own frustration. Maybe you, again, you may be in a place in your life, you're like, oh, no, the free exchange of ideas are wonderful. They really excite me and they, they really get me motivated. Motivated for what? To talk more? You see, this is the problem. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Talk is cheap. Without action, without putting it into action, you can talk, you can have the greatest treatise in the world. You can have a dissertation that wows. But I'm saying, if it doesn't move people, if it doesn't move an industry, if it doesn't move a job or a company or a church or a community, if it doesn't move you towards action, then it's just words. We're reminded in the New Testament, people have surrounded themselves to say what their itching ears want to hear. People do that all the time. Oh, I, I completely agree with so-and-so. They are just right on. Well, how come you feel that way? Well, I have been saying that for years. Rather than subjecting themselves to the way, the truth, and the life, rather than hearing from God's Word alone, rather then going their own way, thinking their own thoughts, turning to God's Word and saying, okay, God, I know this is probably anti-me. I know there are things in here that I don't agree with. There are plenty of things in your Word that I just don't understand. But rather than turn away from it, rather than go my own way, I'm going to subject myself to your Word. And what is that Word? I mean, what is it? 
According to certain reports, there are, uh, I saw one uh, research study said there are 2.2 Bibles in every household in America. Are they used? They gather in dust. When your friends come over that are Christian, do you dust the Bible cover off? Do you put little sticky tabs in the side so, so it looks like you were just there? Or do you even have to just pull it off of the shelf and we'll put it right there on the coffee table that way? <laughs> that way it looks like we've been reading. Or is your household the kind of household where there's a morning devotion in the bathroom, on the kitchen table, on the counter, by your bed stand, okay? Out in the living room, in the car, there's a bunch of CDs with the Word of God. The only podcast you get is the, the latest devotion for that day. Well, after the sermon is over, you go immediately to the website and you download that pastor, sir, because you've got to hear that like six more times during the week. I mean, that's the way to be immersed in God's Word, right? And the problem with that approach is that, again, over and over, all we seem to be doing is, well, I, I, I read the Word of God every day. I, I mean, I, I am immersed in it. I listen to the sermon over and over, and I'm in three Bible studies, and I'm in a life group, too, and, and I've got a friend that even prays with me at lunchtime on Thursdays, and on and on and on. And, and the, here's the problem. You're just talking. Let the Word of God dwell richly in your soul and may it then produce the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. If it's not doing that, then all you're doing is just filling yourself with God's Word and have no care or expectation that it ever gets put into action. James writes about this, don't be merely hearers of the word, but be doers of it. So here's a little assessment this morning. How are you doing, and again, I don't care if you read one verse a week or whether you read a hundred verses a week, because it's not about how much you read, it's about how does the word of God change and impact your life? What is different today than it was yesterday because you read something in God's Word? I'll let you think about that for a second. What's different today because you've heard God's Word in the last 24 hours and you're actually, diff something was done different. You say, ah, oh, come on, 24 hours. I mean, I, <laughs> I was watching the holy event of college football all day less and and uh you know i mean i was trying to catch where the pope was i mean i was trying to keep track of his travels and speeches and i mean i had a lot going on yesterday okay for the last two days how has the word of god impacted your life that has actually made a difference in how you've spoken to people treated people thought of people acted towards people. Maybe it wasn't people. Maybe God was working on your heart towards Him. Maybe you've had such a hard heart towards God, He's been softening your heart and going, man, I, I love you. And you're going, I don't want to be loved by you. And yet, over the last 48 hours, His Word has begun to, to soften 
your heart? What's it actually look like? You say, uh, it was the weekend. I mean, come on, give me a, give me a break. I mean, I, I, I take some time off on the weekend. Okay, let's go for the whole last week. Since last Sunday, even if you were not here, in the last seven days, what part of God's Word has actually transformed your life? Your heart. Your ears. A relationship. How you do business. Whether or not you decided to, to actually take care of the temple that God has given to you by exercise or eating. What, what has actually been impacted by the Word of God. You see, I think that's the standard. I honestly believe that that is what God is after, is that He doesn't want just a bunch of people coming to worship or being in a life group or having their own Bible study time, however you do it, with whomever you do it. He doesn't just want you, well, no, I mean, I read it. <laughs> What's it changing? What's it changing? And maybe it's because we've forgotten the impact of what the Word proclaimed actually does. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, For my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven to water the earth, to cause it to bud and to flourish, so that there is seed for the sower and food for the eater, so is my word that comes forth from my mouth. It will accomplish that for which I sent it. The very word of God actually has power to do what it's supposed to do. So how many of you, just so we can kind of get an idea of, of who's here. Um, how many of you have come to faith after age 18? Because the Word of God impacted you, and you said, you know what, I, I need to die to self. Just raise your hand nice and high if you've come to faith after age 18. I want you to look around at the hands. Keep your hands raised. Don't be embarrassed. Because, see, a lot of Christians go, okay, now you can put your hands up. Because a lot of Christians will go, well, no, I mean, if you're not born into the church, I just don't know how you get to know and love Jesus. That's one way. We can try to birth them into the kingdom. Or we can trust God's word to impact people's lives. We can literally share the word of God with people. And watch as God transforms them. How many of you would just say, right now, you don't need any change in your life. I know, I'm speaking in hyperbole, so just, you don't need any change in your life, right? Everything is good. You live in the most beautiful place in the world. You have the best job in the world. Your spouse loves you unconditionally. You have children that rise and say, Blessed Father, you are the light of my life. How may I serve you this day? Everyone's got that one, right? I mean, you, you got that at home? You got kids that are like that? No. There's not a single one of us here this morning that doesn't need the actual hand of God bringing the Word of God into our lives and have Him change something. And it's not about how I look. 
or my job or my bank account. No, I want him to change my heart. When Paul goes into the Areopagus, he, he does this well. I, I am not the same ilk as Paul in any way. I'd walk in there and go, what the crap is what I would say. I really would. That's my word. And I'd go, what are all these false gods? What are you doing here? And Paul's a little more nuanced. He's a little smoother about that. Oh, I see that you people are very religious. I couldn't say it without dripping sarcasm, okay? I see that you people are very religious. I see that as I've walked around, you even have an idol to, with an inscription to an unknown God. You know what? This unknown God that you have, I want to tell you about him. And Paul goes in. He jumps right in. You see the heavens and the earth? This is that God. I mean, the God that I know that I'm going to tell you about, the unknown God, he is omnipotent. The Lord God who made the world and everything in it. He is all-powerful. That's who you have as an unknown God. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples by men. Why? Because he's omnipresent. So he's, he's all-powerful and he's everywhere. So he doesn't live in a temple. And you know the Greeks are going, oh, oh, we got a lot of buildings around for gods. We got a lot of histories. We got a lot of way we've lived our life. And Paul's going, no. You see, the God that made the universe doesn't even live in a temple. And he does not, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. You know what you do with an idol, a group of idols, is you bring them food. You bring them sacrifices and you set it at the altar as if this stone or gold or wood or silver is going to eat the food you brought it. Paul goes, wait a minute, let me tell you about this God. Not only did he create everything, not only is he everywhere, but he's actually the life giver. He doesn't need food by your hands. He creates food. And you want life. You pray for it. He is the life giver. And lastly, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. And my God, the one I'm telling you about, he knows everything about you. And he's the one that ordains your days. He's the one that says, this far you shall go and no further. This long you shall live and no more. I don't know if you heard about a high school student Friday night. Senior, 17, got hit back in New Jersey. Stumbled to the ground, stood back up. Later on, wasn't feeling well. They took him to the hospital. Saturday morning, they announced to his team he was dead. Be that quick. We don't know how long we have. And I know it consumes us, right? How long are we on the earth? How long? As we seem to age, it seems to change. My parents, um, my parents uh, by our gracious will, has de have decided to move in with us for this next three months. Um, <clears throat> They don't want to winter here, but we're, we're a little, little trial, okay? Uh, and um, it is amazing how the conversations have changed in the Dyer household. I mean, we are used to having a 40-something-year-old a and a very young wife. 
with, because she's, she's not 40, okay, uh, <clears throat> a seven-year-old and a six-year-old, and our conversations happen to be around certain kinds of things. When you have nearly an 80-year-old and a 77-year-old, the conversations begin to change. Like, for instance, yesterday. I walk out onto the back porch. It's 4 o'clock. We're taking a little break from watching all of the holiness on TV. We are, are sharing a glass of wine, and I, I walk back out onto the porch and catch the middle of a conversation. It sounds something like this. Well, according to the actuarial tables, we have about eight more years. What? I said, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Well, we're looking up according to the actuarial tables. I mean, should we, uh, your dad needs some dental work. Do we invest in the dental work or is it just good? And I'm like, oh my gosh, go to the dentist. Oh my gosh. Now, see, they don't come till 11 o'clock, so you guys are good. So, <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, th there are certain times and places in life, right, where the discussions are different, where there are things that are really important to you and at other times not. So I asked my parents, I said, does knowing that according to the actuary table, that you might have eight more years, does it change how you live today? And without even taking a breath, they both nodded their heads and said, absolutely. So here's the deal, friends. I don't know on your actuary tables how long you're expected to live. I don't know if you have today, tomorrow, or next week, a decade from now, or 40 years from now. I don't know. What I know is, is that you have been given today to be worshiping an almighty God who is everywhere, who is life himself, and needs nothing from you except your faithful devotion and worship. And he says, do this by being in the Word. You understand that Paul makes all of his arguments about who Jesus is, who he was, that he died, that he rose again. He makes all of those arguments from the Old Testament. The New Testament isn't written. They don't have the Gospels written. Paul makes all of this argumentation from the over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. That's what they knew. The Jews knew a Messiah was coming. A Savior was coming. Now, some thought a savior king. Others thought, no, a savior that's going to wipe out all governments in the world. And yet there was a small group that believed, no, there's actually a savior that will wipe away sins. And Paul gravitates on that message and says, I want to show you how the over 300 prophecies about who the Messiah is, what he would do, what he would say, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You see, friends, the Word of God means nothing if there is no saving faith in Jesus. It means absolutely nothing. You can know it backwards and forwards. You can memorize it in the original Hebrew and Greek. You can parse verbs. You can translate in hundreds of translations. I don't care. Unless the Word of God lives in you 
and impacts you and the people around you, it is worthless. The Bereans. This is how we get back to the beginning part of the reading. They were more noble. They were of noble character, more than the Thessalonians. How many of you have been to a town where there's been a church named the Berean something? Just raise, raise your hand. Yeah, there's the Berean Lutheran Church, the Berean uh, Methodist Church, the Berean Baptist Church. I mean, you go around. Because when you're sitting around going, what should we name our church? Well, Paul said there was a really noble group of people. Let's be called them. Bereans. Let me explain to you what happened with the Bereans. <clears throat> The town of Berea was a bigger town than Philippi. Because remember last week we talked about Philippi not having a Jewish synagogue. But the town of Berea did have a Jewish synagogue. And so when Paul comes there, he goes into the synagogue. Because that's the normal thing to do. They would allow teachers to stand up, read from the scriptures. Jesus did this himself. Paul does this now in the town of Berea. The reason they are noted for being of noble character is not because they listened to Paul. It's because they went home, and not everyone had a copy of the Old Testament then. It means they got together in small communities, and they said, He said this, let's look it up. Let's see if it really does point to Jesus. How many of you have seen Jesus? How many of you have heard of Jesus? Well, my mom heard him, and she was healed. And da -da. I mean, right, this is about 20 years after Jesus has been alive. And at this point, what's happening is... is Paul is making these arguments, and the Bereans are going, I want to go home and see if this is true. And they go home, they look in Holy Scripture, and they go, yeah, yeah, it's right there. He's not just feeding us a line of bull. It's right here. And so my challenge for you is quit thinking that the Bible is too complex. It's not. It's a simple story. Well, but I read through it all the time, and there are plenty of verses that I have no idea what it means. Then move on. I'm not kidding you. Move on. Because what the Holy Spirit does is He enlightens your soul. He gives you an ability to understand Holy Scripture. And there are times I've read through verses five, six, ten times, and finally the twelfth time, I go, oh, I get it. That's just where it is. That's just how it is. But I know some of you are a little more uh, organized. You say, well, you can't just tell me to read the Word of God. That just doesn't help me. Okay, here we go. For those of you that need a little more structure, okay? And, and I'm not trying to make fun of you at all. I, I honestly realize, look, there, there's something you need. So I want you to read whatever section of Scripture you're reading. A lot of times if you'll read it out loud, sometimes the ear catches things that if you're just reading silently, it doesn't work. So read the Word of God out loud. Secondly, ask what is it about? Just ask the question, what? What is it saying? Is it a story? Is it a parable? Just, give, just pretend there's somebody sitting there, and what are the facts? Okay, so you've read the story of, 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 uh, of Paul going into the church of Berea. Well, the story is, is Paul went in to preach. The Bereans heard the word. They went home, studied that night to see if what Paul was saying was true. That's the what. Next, ask yourself, so what? So what does it mean? Why, I mean, why are we even hearing this story? Well, if we read the story before and the story after, we kind of glean from context that what Paul is, is celebrating here is that the Bereans were noble characters. They were people of the Word of God. So what? 
be people of the Word of God. And now what? The third question. So what? Just what is the context? So what does it mean? Now what? The now what is always the application. The now what is always, now what am I being called to do? Or what am I being forced to change? Or how am I being challenged to rethink? So here's my suggestion. You read this week. You want to start with the Gospel of John? Start with the Gospel of John. We're in Acts. If you want to read the Gospel of Luke, read that. It's kind of a companion volume. Same author. Read in small chunks. You don't have to do this for hours a day. Take five minutes. Read the Word of God. What is it saying? So what does it mean? Now what am I being asked to do with it? I love this question at seminary. If I believe what I just read, what do I look like if I believe it? What do I sound like if I believe it? What do I smell like, taste like, and feel like? And I know that kind of weirds some of you out going, what the heck? How do I, I don't know what that means at all. Explore it. Because I know what God Almighty wants to have transformed in you is that you would take on the sweet aroma of Christ. That you would look like Him and sound like Him. That you would walk like Him and love like Him. That you would have joy like Him and peace like Him. That you would forgive like Him. That you would exalt people around you like Him. That you would give second chance after second chance just like Him. No, by your own strength, you aren't powerful enough to do this, but by the Word of God, I will promise, He will absolutely transform your life. Let Him. Amen. And now may this Word of the Lord strengthen your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until His return to take us home. Amen.